Um, but this morning, I want to talk a little bit about uh, change um, and, uh, you know, ask you, has anything changed for you uh, over this past week? Um, we, we got back from our excursion yesterday and we came home and found out that a lot had changed, uh, like, like our yard had changed. Uh, when we left, it was all brown and we came back and it was green. It started growing again. I had to mow the lawn yesterday. Um, we also found that, you know, the weather has been changing. It's cooled off quite a bit, even in the course of a week. Um, the amount of daylight that we are, are getting, that's in the process of changing, right? The days are getting shorter, and uh, there's a lot of changes going on. And the Christian life is all about change. Uh, change is core to the Christian life. Our never-changing God is continually calling us as his people to change, um, in a, to change in a particular way, in a way that, that more of our lives reflect the likeness and the quality and the character of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's the change that we're looking at. That change is a lifelong journey. It gets labeled by a lot of different terms. Uh, we, we call it spiritual growth. Uh, we call it holiness. We call it growing in godliness, or we, we call it sanctification. There's a lot of different names, um, but it's talking about the same process of changing. And, and so this morning, what I want to do is take a little bit of a deeper dive into this process, uh, into God's process of how change takes shape in our lives. And particularly this morning, uh, we're, we're getting closer to launching our fall semester of life groups. And that is one of the primary um, structures that we put in place here at Lakeview um, to help facilitate this very thing, uh, this, this change that God intends to accomplish in our lives. So this morning, you may have on your way in got uh, what we call our um, life group intersect. We're starting it this week so you can see it get a little taste for it, but it's a handout for those of you who like to write notes. And there's also um, an outline that you can fill in some blanks, and there's some discussion questions, and those are a springboard uh, for our life groups that take place um, during the weekdays. You'll hear more about that, but I just wanted to let you know what is the sheet of paper you may have gotten on your way in. Uh, that's what it is, and so uh, if that's helpful... Uh, follow along. Um, and if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start out in verse 17, and uh, this passage lays out God's pattern uh, for life change. And here's what it says. It says, now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. All right, um, just stop right there. And this is the, uh, the precursor to life change. And it's, it's presented here in this passage as a, as a must, you must no longer. It's, it's sort of the inevitable expectation of the Christian life is that it's a life that's going to change. And, and so for us today, if you are a Christ follower, what that means is embracing the reality that life change is possible. Um, 
And for some of us, that's like a really important first step. Um, So what that means, in other words, is that the phrase is that oftentimes we throw around so easily, we say things like, well, that's just the way I am. Or I can't help it. Or if you're like me, I'm Irish. That's my excuse, right? Or I just can't change. Those kinds of phrases... They simply don't belong. They have no place in the Christian life, particularly when it comes to some of these stubborn habits that we hit up against in our lives. Um, Now, if you don't like that, um, if that just isn't something that tickles your ears this morning, I understand that. Um, But what I want to say is you don't have a problem with me. Um, your problem is with the Lord because that's what uh, in this passage it says, I testify in the Lord is what the Apostle Paul says. In other words, this expectation is set from, from God himself. Uh, in the NIV, um, that was the ESV version. The NIV is a little more emphatic. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. There's There's this insistence, the Lord insists that for his followers, that the way that we live our lives, or or what this passage describes as our walk, right, that's our lifestyle, that it's going to change, that there's going to be updates and upgrades in the way that we live. And, And the way I would put it is that new lifestyles need a new, I'm sorry, with a new life that we have in Christ, there's a new lifestyle that correlates and goes along with it. A new lifestyle goes along with new life in Christ. And, and maybe the reason why this passage is so insistent about this is because it's so easy for us to fool ourselves to convince ourselves that and believe that either, number one, that the way that we live, our walk or our lifestyle, that doesn't really matter. That's the first option. Or number two, that life change just simply isn't possible. Neither of those are true. Number one, it does matter. And number two, it is possible. And that's because of the grace of God. The grace of God is a wonderful thing. God's grace, it is forgiving grace, but it's not just forgiving grace. It's also empowering grace. God's grace gives us a power that we don't have on our own, and God's grace does more than just forgive us and wipe our slates clean and sets us out again. It actually regenerates us. In other words, it makes us alive to God in a way that we weren't before that point. It turns us into new creations where the old is gone, the new has come, and there's this brand new identity to grab hold of and embrace. And so with this new life that we're given because of the grace of God, there's also a new lifestyle that goes along with it. And that's what this passage is getting at. And so here's the point that the reason for this new lifestyle is not because the way we used to live before Christ was in the picture, not because that was wrong, it's because it no longer fits. You see, there's a difference. The the appeal here 
the appeal to growth, to change, it's, it's grounded in identity, not in morality. There's an important distinction there. The call of the Christian life is not, you used to be bad, now start being good. That's not it. Even if that's true, the call is more like you were once dead, now you're alive So now live out this new life. Be who God has made you through the redeeming work of his son Jesus on the cross, what he's already made you to be in in the inside of you. Let that show and reflect in your life in the present. And so it's sort of like the same way butterflies can't go on living like caterpillars, right? Not because caterpillars are bad or wrong um, or morally inferior. It's because... It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. So, so this is kind of saying, I insist, start flying, stop crawling. That's what this, this passage, these, this, this whole thing is, is getting at. Uh, but that hits us against this, this challenge, right? Because we all understand it, it doesn't always happen automatically. There's this challenge that stands in the way of, of life change, and that is that there are remnants of the old us um, that remain from that old life. Old desires, the ones that used to feel who we used to be before Christ was a part of our lives. And those habits, they kind of have a way of hanging around after their welcome has been worn out, right? They don't just automatically go away they, sometimes they stick. Now, now this church that is this, this passage was written to, uh, it was in a city called Ephesus, and this church came out of a hardcore hedonistic background. So, so they hadn't been rooted in any kind of religious instruction. Um, truth be told, immorality, that was their natural reflex inclination. Um, and now they've... They've become new creations in Christ, and yet they still had these old patterns, these old ways of doing life that are stuck in there, and those habits were just having a hard time getting flushed out. And so let me ask you, does any of that sound at all familiar to you? If if any of their story sounds a little bit like your story, what I want to do first of all is encourage you, is encourage you for where you are. Take heart and have hope because a lot of times, here's what happens. We start wondering, why do I still desire things that are so contrary to the things of God? What does this mean? Does it mean that I'm not a Christian? Does it mean that my faith is defective? Is there something wrong with me? And the answer is no. This is sort of life. This is par for the course. And I will tell you, not only is it true of you, it's true of every one of us who are in this room. We, we battle these desires. And so the question is, it's, it's not, is it wrong to have these desires? The question is this, what do we do with them? when those desires surface. 
And that's what this passage is going to go on and explain and lay out a game plan for. Uh, Here's what it says. He says, as we go on in the passage, but that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a process here that's being just kind of laid out for us. And and what we find here, first of all, is that God never gives us the what without also giving us the how. Isn't that good? Right? We, we, we've just heard about the what, that, that change is inevitable. It's an essential part of the Christian life. And now this is, this is the how. Here is the process of how it happens. Make no mistake, what we're looking at here, it's not a quick fix. It's not like, okay, do A, B, and C, and then presto, walk out, and everything's good. This is, this is a process to embrace. And, and it, it tells us that the process starts off with First of all, putting off the old is what it says. And, and the imagery is, is that of taking off clothes that don't fit or, or are no longer appropriate for the occasion you're in. So, so we went on this bike journey this last week, and, and we spent uh, different nights at different places, and we made our way to one of these uh, bed and breakfasts, a beautiful place, and we showed up at this lady's coastal colonial home and I got to tell you we we had to knock on the door we had to ring the doorbell she opened the door and we were absolutely dripping in sweat we looked disgusting our clothes were drenched we had just ridden 50 miles it was a humid day and 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 we also we also discovered along the journey the smelliest article of clothing on the planet earth and it's my sweaty bike gloves. So these bike gloves, they have, I, I guess I don't know how it's happened, but they, they contain a special kind of stink that is like unlike anything <laughs> you've ever smelt before. And so once Diane discovered that, uh, those got quarantined. <laughs> and um, anytime we went indoors, they were just, they were out of bounds. But anyway, we showed up at this doorstep and we weren't sure if this, homeowner was even going to let us in. We were really not looking so good. And she had a beautiful home. She let us in, but I'll tell you what we didn't do. We didn't come in with our, bed, our sweaty bike clothes and sit down on her nice living room furniture. We just didn't do that, right? We went immediately up to our room. We, we showered, we cleaned up, we changed into clean clothes, and then we walked downstairs and we got better acquainted. That was, that was the kind of wardrobe that was appropriate for the setting that we found ourselves in. And, and that's just a little bit about what is going on in this passage, what we're being told to do. Take off those old ways of doing life. They don't fit anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that those old desires aren't still there. They are. It's a reality. But when they surface, take them off. Drop them. It's an intentional action. It's a decision of the will. And it's an act of obedience. 
And maybe it's worth noting what it doesn't say here. What it doesn't say is pray to God and ask him to take those desires away. That you will not find in this passage. The Holy Spirit will give us the power we need to take the action that we're called to take, but understand this, it's yours to take it. Don't ask God to do what he's already told you to do. It also doesn't say here in this passage, wait until you feel like laying down those desires. What it does say is that these these desires are deceitful desires. These old desires that are still hanging around. Uh, That means there's a big difference between how they appear on the outside and and what they really in actual substance are. But here's the thing, by definition, desires are desirable, right? So that's the expectation. And so with that in mind, what it says is drop them, lay them aside. In other words, don't pick them up, don't coddle them, don't entertain them, don't leave any space in your life for them at all. You know, there is something very real and very loud in each of our lives. These, these desires, selfish desires, they rage and inside of us in some way or another, they demand that we feed them, that we give in to them. And it can seem like they're just too powerful for us. Like we have no choice but to give in. But in Christ, you do have the power to lay them aside, to simply drop them. And there is a lie to expose. And here's what the lie is, that you have no choice but to give in to every desire you have. That's simply not true because of God's empowering grace and through the power of his Holy Spirit, those desires can be dropped, they can be laid aside, and just say, that's just not who I am anymore. So put off the old. That's, that's the first step in the process, but you probably notice as we read through the verse, it's not the only step. It says after that, to put off the old, then it says to be renewed in your mind. To be renewed in the heart of your, I'm sorry, to, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And, and so what, what it doesn't say is to renew our minds. It says to be renewed. There's, the, the verb is in the passive tense, in other words. So, so this isn't something that we do. This is a work that God does in us as we open up and create space in our lives for the renewing work of the Holy Spirit to take place. And the truth is we need a renewing work in the deepest part of our lives on an ongoing basis. See, the way that we view things, it gets soiled by sin. And we end up excusing and saying, so what, to things that break the heart of God, that grieve him. And so we need our minds to be reset, hit the default again. This is what's right. This is what's real. We need to be restored and aligned around what God wants and the way that he sees things. 
Chip Ingram, he, he says this. I, I wrote it down because I think it's such a great quote. He says, the most important decision you make every single day is not what food you put in your mouth. The most important decision that will impact you, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your life, your future, your legacy. The most important decision every day is what you put in your mind. Guard it and give access to God. Make sure you're feeding on truth and not lies. Fill it with gratitude instead of self-gratification. Set your mind on things that matter for eternity and not just on these fleeting things. Position it on humility instead of pride. Because lasting life change, the real deal, it comes from carving out space to let God in and to let his renewing work take place in us. Space to be in his word, space to hear, to listen, and to respond to what he's saying and speaking to us. And so this is the pattern. Uh, first, put off the old. And then second, to, to, to make space, to, to have our minds renewed. And there's a final part, uh, to put on the new. He says, uh, to take off those deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so understand this, that for every no that God calls us to drop, there's always a greater yes that he's holding up for us to pick up. For every deceitful desire that we're told to put off, there's always a pure desire that's righteous and holy, that's waiting there to grab hold of and put on. So be careful. Don't reduce the Christian life to these are the things that I don't do. That is not what it's about. It's never about what you don't do. It's about what you do do. And so life change it doesn't stop at eliminating the old. It's about replacing what's lesser with something greater. And by the way, did you ever like just try to not do something and stop there, right? It doesn't typically work out because you end up kind of focusing on it, fixating on it, and then ends up defeated. And so it says replace the old with the new. Put on some new clothes, Put on this new clothes that, that fit the new you, this, this new self, he says, this new lifestyle that it's created, he says, after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So a way to sum it up is just that it's really just about being like Jesus. It's about becoming in our lives more like him. And God is at work in our lives to reshape them, to be more like Jesus. And the passage, it's going to go on now, and it's going to just kind of put this into real concrete um, terms in terms of what this looks like. What does this new wardrobe of the Christian life look like in real life? <clears throat> Here's what it says. Excuse me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share 
with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. All right, so he kind of laid out the principles here in this passage, and now he's just giving us examples. This is what it looks like when you flesh it out in real life. And, and many of these are, they're, they're kind of self-explanatory, so we're not going to dive too, too much into the details of them all, but these are just examples. This is an example. There's an old attitude to drop, and there's a new one to adopt. And so stop lying but don't just stop lying. Start telling the truth because that just, that just fits who you are in Christ so much better. Be angry, but don't sin. I like that it says be angry, right? The, the expectation is not that we cannot have anger, but that we express it uh, in appropriate ways and that we resolve the conflict that we have quickly rather than just letting it fester because that only gives the enemy ground to, to dig in and to blow things up, and that's what happens. Stop stealing, but then get busy. Do something productive, work, right? Monitor what's coming out of your mouth. Don't use words to tear people down with gossip and slander and criticism and all that toxicity, right? Instead, lay that aside and put on using your words to encourage, to edify, to build others up. Drop the bitterness, drop the rage, drop the anger, drop the bawling, drop the slander, every form of malice, and choose instead to be kind and compassionate and forgiving. And then maybe the crown of the wardrobe is forgiveness. This is kind of the highlight here, being able to let others off the hook, to get past the things that uh, they fail us or they offend us without, without having to punish. That's such a rare commodity, and it's something that, that as a believer, as someone who is grounded in Christ, who's connected with Christ, there's this capacity that the rest of the world may not have, right? Because of the gospel, because we've all been on the receiving end of it. We know what it is to be forgiven. We've experienced God's forgiveness and his grace through Jesus. And so it fits, extends that forgiveness that God has given you to those in your life who need it. And so these are all just uh, pictures, right? This isn't a comprehensive list. These are just examples, snapshots. This is what to take off. This is what to put on. And, and did you notice, maybe you noticed that this, this whole project of change, this whole project of life transformation, it all happens in the context of, of relationships. That's, the whole thing is there. Like God uses people in our lives to accomplish his life change and make us more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And because the reality is we're either going to tell the truth to someone 
or we're going to lie to someone. We are going to get angry with someone or we're not going to get angry with someone. There's another person involved on a horizontal life. And so what that means is that when it comes to life change, when it comes to growing in godliness, it has a whole lot less to do with becoming a monk, right? Like getting away from people. That's not what it's about because relationships, that's what God works with. That's, those are the tools that he uses and what he, what he intends to transform, transform in our lives that surfaces in the context of relationships. And so when I look at a person and say, that person makes me so mad, gets me so frustrated that's really not what it's about, is it? It's not about the other person. It's that there's an anger issue in me that God wants to deal with. Now, what does it look like for the Holy Spirit to, to change that part of me, right? Instead of, instead of just trying to push it on someone else. Of course, this is a, it's a messy process. People are messy. Relationships are messy. People are complicated. And so are you and so am I. And that's part of the whole process. And so we just get the opportunity to just embrace it. Um, so for us as a church, this is part of the reason. This is one of those passages that highlight the way that we have chosen to intentionally structure um, this value of spiritual growth in a very highly relational way. Right, not just throwing books at people. Um, here, learn this information, um, but putting people together in community. Uh, our life groups are, are are the are the mechanism that we kind of have designed um, to be intentional gatherings of people who come together on a regular basis to come alongside each other and to help spur on and grow in godliness. So we walk together. We, we challenge each other about those areas. There's areas that need to be put off and, and other areas that need to be put on and we encourage each other to put on the things of God and to grow and not just coast. We get the chance to just unpack what's going on in our lives and the struggles and the challenges and, and wrestle through what does it mean to take God's truth and to apply it to those situations to join in and be a part of this process of life change that God is in the process of taking shape in each other's lives. And so I hope to have whet your appetite just a little bit because our groups are kind of in the forming process. Now you'll hear more about it and I would love for you to, uh, to jump in this fall. You're, you're destined to change. If your life is wrapped up with Jesus, you have a life that's destined to change, to become more of who God has already made you to be. And God's plan is for your life to reflect more of the likeness of Jesus. There's a process to it. It's a lifelong process. It's ongoing. And people are a big part of how this thing unfolds. So I would just, just encourage you as we close this morning to to jump into that process, to, to, to participate fully in it because this world needs more Christ-likeness from those who claim the name of Christ, right? And our homes and our families, our places of work need more Christ-likeness from those who claim the name of Christ. And so just 
consider how and what might God want to do in your life over the course of this next year to change in ways so that we reflect more of the likeness of of Jesus Christ. So we let go of some of those lesser things and leave the past in the past and, and pick up some of that greater stuff and grab hold of everything that God has for us. Let's pray together.